open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 as we continue our journey with Jesus in the Gospel of Mark that bears his name. We're going to start reading in verse 21 today through verse 34. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. I've entitled the message today, The Authority and Power of Jesus. It says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. We want to look at the setting of this story, this part of Scripture, and it takes place in Capernaum. Jesus, of course, uh, was in Nazareth, but when he began his ministry, he moved to Capernaum. Now, you would almost think that he would have moved to Jerusalem. I mean, that would have been the New York City, the Washington, D.C., as it were. Uh, But why does he pick a place like Capernaum? I think some of that reason is is because he wanted to be removed from the political and religious influence that would have taken place around Jerusalem. There were Hellenistic cities that were further removed from Capernaum. And so this gave Jesus a little bit more freedom to do that. Capernaum was a city that was along a main trade route that ran between the Mediterranean coastal plain and Damascus in the north. Um, And it was located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. So many of the inhabitants were fishermen, farmers, artisans, merchants, officials, and, of course, those dreaded tax collectors. They're everywhere, right? Tax collectors. So it was a mixed population. There was also uh, some Roman troops there um, just to keep things in order. Um, Historians say that maybe the population around this time was probably around 10,000, so not too much different from our town. Although if you fish out at Lake Thompson, um, hopefully the fishing would be a little better at the Sea of Galilee than it is at Lake Thompson. Although we do know there were times that they would fish all night and catch nothing. Um, the synagogue that Jesus went into, um, I'm hoping that we will get a chance to look. We tried to download a short um, slide 
thing that goes through. So hopefully it'll work, but um, just in case it doesn't, just to give you a heads up, uh, there's some pictures here of a fourth century synagogue that stands in Israel at this time in Capernaum. Um, it is uh, made of white limestone. It is not the synagogue that Jesus taught in, but it's the same place that Jesus taught. In other words, they built this synagogue on top of the old synagogue. If you look closely, the pictures will go by kind of quick, but at the very bottom of the foundation, you're going to see black basalt stone. That black basalt stone would have been the earlier synagogue. And then they built this white limestone synagogue on top of it. And so right outside the walls of that synagogue are houses around. You will see stones about maybe this high of, of walls. Those were houses that were right around the synagogue. And right across the way from those houses was Peter's mother-in-law's, uh, where Peter lived. And where his mother-in-law lived with him. And then right beyond that is the Sea of Galilee. You can actually see the Sea of Galilee from standing in that synagogue. So just to give you a picture of that. So hopefully this will work because I want you to see it. Um, and it'll be self-explanatory from there if it works. There's a picture of what it was complete when it was all together. Obviously, some of the remains aren't there. There's some of the houses, piles of stones that are there. Is that the last one? Oh, okay. I was thinking there was another one. Okay, so you can kind of get a picture a little bit of what this setting is. Uh, some of you have been to Israel yourself and have seen that, um, and it's, it's very uh, fascinating uh, to see that. So it was an economically prosperous place uh, to be able to build these kind of structures. Um, there was prosperity there because of where it was located, and Jesus goes to this town uh, to speak. The synagogues were assembly halls. They were gathering places. It was an auditorium where people would come. And they would actually build these synagogues all over the Mediterranean world. If there were 10 or more boys 13 years of age or older, they would build a synagogue. Maybe not quite as large, but they would build a synagogue where they could come <clears throat> and be taught the Torah, the law, uh, God's law. And then there was also a ruler in the synagogue. The ruler in the synagogue did not get up and preach or teach or expound on the Torah, but he would invite others to come in and give the message. That's what Jesus did. He was invited, he came in, he gave this message. And so this is the setting that we see. And right off the bat, we see the authority of Jesus in his teaching. They go to Capernaum. And it says, when the Sabbath came, he goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach. And the people are amazed at his teaching because he taught 
as them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Jesus had a new teaching, a new message, and a new voice that they were not used to. And there are three things I just want to mention briefly about Jesus' teaching. One is Jesus spoke very plainly. Yeah, there were times he spoke in parables and this and that, but in this particular context, he spoke very plainly. He was not quoting from previous rabbis. Many of the teachers of the law would quote, this rabbi said this, and this rabbi said that, and I'm teaching from this rabbi's teaching. Jesus did not teach from any other rabbi. He did not say, thus saith the Lord. He said, this is what I'm telling you. I'm telling you from my own authority. Um, And you can kind of see this in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, For instance, listen to this. In Matthew 5.18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. In Matthew 5.20, he says, I tell you. In Matthew 5.21, he says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. He says in Matthew 5.27, You have heard it said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery already. That was teaching that was so much more powerful. Why? Because Jesus was speaking to the heart. He was speaking to the heart. It was also a teaching moment for the disciples because if you look just a few verses earlier, Jesus called four disciples. He called Simon and his brother Andrew. He called James and his brother John. These four disciples are with Jesus in the synagogue as he's teaching with authority. And I imagine it raised their eyebrows like, Man, what is this guy? Who is this guy we're following now? This is incredible. It's amazing. Jesus not only spoke plainly, he spoke powerfully. His authority came from God. Here's what it tells us in Matthew 28:18. Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." All authority has been given to Jesus. The teachers of the law and the scribes had authority with the people. They did not lack authority and power, but they did not have the power and authority of Jesus. They saw it as vastly different. He spoke his message and it carried more weight. Here's what it tells us in Colossians about Jesus. You and about us, you have been filled in him. Talking to believers, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Christ in us gives us what we need. That's what we need to remember. Christ in us gives us what we need. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. And authority is about control. So I have a question. Who's in control of your life? Who is in control? Who is calling the shots? Well, let's ask a couple more questions to see who is in control. Do I have any habits in my life that are controlling me that are not pleasing to God? He says we've been filled in him. Do we have habits in our life that are controlling us that are not pleasing to God? Do I seek out Godly counsel 
unquestionable activities or do I simply rationalize my behavior? Do I have a habit of whining and complaining? Do I have a habit of being with the wrong people? Do I have a habit of lying? Boy, if you've watched the news media recently, there's been a whole lot of lying going on. Do you have a habit of not reading your Bible or spending time in prayer? Do you have a habit of engaging in an unwholesome talk? Or a habit of listening to music with perverted lyrics? Or a habit of watching movies that would make God blush? See, this tells us the authority in our life. If the authority is God, we should seek to be rid of the habits that would displease him. And like we talked about last week, bring pleasure to God in what we do with our lives. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And it goes on to tell us, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And how did he do that? And when did he do that? It was at the cross. He overcame the authorities of evil at the cross. And we also need to be reminded of this. We're talking about the authority of Jesus as he speaks. How does he speak now? Through his word. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It pierces us when we hear the Word of God. The message that Jesus is giving here, Mark does not tell us what he's saying, but we do know this. He's preaching God's truth. He's preaching God's commands, God's Word. And there's a sense of conviction in his words. Remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he's walking along with the two companions after his death and resurrection and they don't recognize Jesus but here's what they say to Jesus about Jesus. He was a prophet of Nazareth powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And later, the disciples go and they break bread with him, and he opens their eyes to the fact that he's Jesus. And what did they say? They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It's an exercise in futility to come into a worship service and hear the word of God and leave unstirred and unchanged. It's to change us from the inside out. It is to burn in our hearts and our conscience. It's to be convicted and compelled and gripped by the truth of God's word that he is the authority in my life, in every area of my life. Is he the authority in your life? You see, reaching the heart is the most important part of preaching. The Puritans believed that. 
Jonathan Edwards, who was a Puritan preacher, he said, Our people do not so much need to have their heads stored as to have their hearts touched. And they stand in the greatest need of that sort of preaching, which has the tendency to do this. He says, They knew from Scripture and by experience that only an omnipotent Christ can arrest a sinner who is wedded to sinful lust, divorce him from the primary love of his heart, make him willing to forsake his bosom's sin, and turn him to God with full resolve to obey and honor him. That's what God has called us to do, to bring pleasure to him, to honor him, to rid out the habits of our life that are taking authority over us. And God says all authority has been given to Jesus. And therefore, we have the authority, we have the power to get rid of these things in our life that are displeasing to the Lord. We even see that the Holy Spirit, now I have to be careful in how I say this, is granted authority, but he even recognizes that his authority does not come from himself. Look at this, John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The third way that Jesus spoke is he spoke confidently. He spoke plainly, he spoke powerfully, he spoke confidently. He knew who he was and he knew what he believed. He knew what his mission was and his message. And he said, until heaven and earth pass, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law till all is accomplished. It's a powerful word. We can disregard it, we can despise it, it's the authority in our lives. He says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens forever. We also see the authority of Jesus not only in his teaching, but we see the authority of Jesus over demons. This is powerful. You see, Jesus wanted to authenticate his message, and the way he authenticated his message was to show he had power over everything. There is a conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. There is a conflict between the anointed Holy One of God and Satan. It is not a human fleshly battle. It is a cosmic conflict. And that's what we have to remember. When we see evil in the world, the Bible tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and authorities of darkness. It's authority. And it's all about authority. And Jesus came to take those who were held captive by evil spirits and set them free. So here's what I want us to recognize about demons. Demons are also called evil spirits or unclean spirits in Scripture. They hate and oppose God, His Word, His people, and His plan. They fight against God. This demon recognizes who Jesus is. He says... Just then, as the man came into the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit, in verse 23, 
the spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now, you remember, they said nothing good comes out of Nazareth. So maybe he was trying to show that how could he be any good? He's from Nazareth. The other thing is, whenever there was an exorcism that took place, many times the person doing the exorcism would say the name of the demon. By stating the name of the demon, they felt like that gave them authority and power over that demon to cast it out. And maybe this is another reason that he mentions the name of Jesus is to usurp power and authority over Jesus. But it didn't work. It did not work. The evil spirit cries out, what do you want with us? In other words, if you let us alone, we'll let you alone. Here's something else I want you to recognize. This demon is tormented by just being in the presence of Jesus. Evil is not comfortable in the presence of Jesus. Never. This is why people who are lost have problem coming into church and hearing the word of God. Because when you come into church and you hear the word of God and it pierces your heart, you've got to do one of two things. You've got to repent and fall and say, yes, Jesus is Lord, or you harden your heart against God. Because the Bible says it's like a piercing sword into our hearts. And he can't stand to be in the presence of Jesus. You see, it's hard for sinners to come to church and hear words of light that will expose them because they have so many fears. But again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We don't see the demons. But that doesn't mean they're not there. John Milton in Paradise Lost said, Millions of unseen creatures walk the earth unseen, both when we wake and when we sleep. And I love the words of Martin Luther in his old hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The truth of God will always conquer evil. In this passage, the demon also recognizes that he does not have more power than Jesus because demons have limited power. They have limited power. So what does a demon say to Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? <laughs> he knows his days are numbered. He knows he is doomed for destruction. He knows that Jesus has the authority and power over him. There's no hope for the demon. The evil spirit was silenced and shamed. He was told to shut up. And come out of him. He was muzzled. He was commanded to do something he did not want to do. And he was restrained from controlling this man and causing further damage. The evil spirit was full of fear that he could be destroyed. God has broken the power of evil. But you know what? We have a choice to submit our will to the Lord. Or if we're in control, we submit ourselves to ourself 
and evil will be the result. But I want to remind us that God has broken every chain for sin. He has broken every chain for us. And I'm so glad that he has. I'm reminded of this song, the words of this song. It's a, it's a more modern song called Break Every Chain. Let me just read a few lines. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. What did the evil spirit do when Jesus cast him out? He shrieked. Why did he shriek? He didn't want to leave, but he had to. He also probably wanted to raise a stink and try to bring fear into the crowd, saying, I'll be back. But here's a question. What chain does Satan have around your life to keep you in bondage? What chain is Satan using to keep you in bondage? You can break the chain of pornography with accountability. You can break the chain. There are too many men and now women wrapped up in pornography who claim to be Christians and who have not exercised the authority and power of Jesus in their life to break the chain. You need to break the chain. It's time to stop and break the chain. The church needs to be the church. We need to stand up and speak up for the Lord, not live in fear, move in faith. The demon's power has been broken. Amen? We need to break the chains of addiction with changing who we hang out with, the places we go, the things we listen to, the voices we listen to, what we do with our time. Break the chain of addiction through the power and authority of Christ. He's given it to us. We need to take it. We need to humble ourselves and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm chained. I want you to break the chain today. Today, the chain needs to be broken. You need to break the chain of selfishness. Some of you hang on to your possessions the resources that God has blessed you with. You don't faithfully give to the church. You need to break the chain of selfishness and start giving to the church what belongs to God. Really? Yeah, really. Break the chain of selfishness. Selfishness is saying, I don't trust God. Trust Him. Break the chain of selfishness and start trusting God. Break the chain of inadequacy or low self-esteem by grasping our identity in Christ. So many times we say, I can't do this and I can't do that and I, I can't serve in that capacity. You know what? You're probably right. But through the power and authority of Christ, you can. You absolutely can. If God has gifted you, he is not going to put you out there and let you drown. 
Stand up in the power and authority of Christ and serve him with what he's given you. Don't wait. Today is the day. Seize the day. Demons have limited power. God has broken the power over demons. He has broken the power of sin for you and I to walk in victory and to walk in truth. We need to do so. Demons also have limited knowledge. They don't know how God's going to act. They don't have omniscience like God. That's why he said, Did you, are you going to destroy us? <laughs> he didn't have, he didn't have full, full perfect knowledge. They don't understand everything God is about and what he's doing. We also then see the power of Jesus to heal. Jesus has the power over sickness and disease. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. So all those mother-in-law jokes, God cares about mother-in-laws. Amen? <laughs> and all the mother-in-laws said, amen. God cares about mother-in-laws. Peter cared about his mother-in-law too. Told Jesus about his mother-in-law. And I find it interesting. I think after they saw Jesus cast out this demon... They knew he had the power to heal her, but it just says they just told Jesus about her. <laughs> they say, Jesus, go in there and fix her. I don't think they felt like this man of authority, they should be telling what to do. <laughs> but they should, you know, let him know about their need. So that's what he did. He told him about the need, and Jesus goes in and he meets the need. And that's the beautiful part of the power and authority of Jesus. He exercises his power and authority to meet needs in our life. Needs that we can't meet on our own. He will meet. You say, you know what? I, my body, I, I'm racked with anxiety. Would you give that anxiety to the Lord? Would you give it to him? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. There's the power and authority of Jesus. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. He's going to guide us. He wants to guide us. He has the power to heal. He cares. And when he heals, listen, he doesn't do it halfway. He didn't take her by the hand and let's, let's get you out to the table and sit down and let's feed you soup for the next two days and some ginger ale and... Maybe by then you'll get your strength back. No, she was absolutely wholly restored and jumped up and started serving the people. <laughs> that's, that's amazing power. Because you know as well as I do, when somebody's down sick, you don't get up the next day and run like everything's fine. It takes time. But Jesus totally restored her. And why did she jump up and start serving? She did it out of gratitude to Jesus for what he did for her. You see, if you and I have been genuinely changed by the power of God and his grace, I can't help but jump up and serve this Jesus. I have to. Out of gratitude for what he's done for me. It gives me the energy and the desire and passion to do that. You don't go to chapel, kids, on Friday and sing like you're singing to some dead God. He's alive. He's powerful. He's a man of authority. He's God. Sing like you believe it. Live like you believe it. She reciprocates with grateful, humble service. 
What a picture of a disciple of Jesus. Do you know that strict rabbis would not allow someone, a woman, to serve in that capacity? But Jesus did. And then it goes on to tell us in these last couple verses that he heals from many sicknesses, diseases, and demon possession. The people do not bring the sick and the diseased and the demon-possessed until, notice what it says in verse 32, that evening after sunset. That's important in Jewish culture. Why? The Sabbath was over. He's not supposed to heal on the Sabbath unless the person's in danger of losing their life. That's against the law. Well, he already did it in the synagogue, but (laughs) they were still afraid they're breaking the Sabbath by carrying and bringing people to Jesus in the Sabbath. So let's wait till the Sabbath is over. Let's be a good Jew. Now we'll bring people to Jesus. And the neat thing here, when it talks about that evening after sunset that they brought people to Jesus, it is actually... This idea of they brought people to Jesus and they kept bringing people to Jesus. They were carrying people to Jesus and they kept carrying people to Jesus. Isn't that a good picture of what we should be doing as Christians? That we bring people to Jesus. Well, you know, I used to do that. I used to witness. I used to share my faith. I used to care. Have you stopped bringing people to Jesus? Have we forgot his power and authority to change people's lives? We should be reaching out to the addicts. We should be reaching out to the down and outers because the only thing that will change them is the power of the gospel. It is the power of the gospel. We have to believe that and get them under the influence of God's word, bringing them to Jesus. Jesus was not healing merely to impress people with his power. He wanted to authenticate his message. I think he did with what he did. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As we carry on in this journey with Jesus... My question is, have you taken notice of the power and authority of Christ in your life? We see it in Scripture, but do you see it in your life? Are you experiencing it in your own heart? Or are you living a defeated life? Are there habits in your life that are not pleasing to the Lord and you excuse them and you rationalize them? And it's time to stop. Or is there an addiction that has been a chain around you and you have forgotten that God has broken every chain by his power? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. You can have the power and authority to break that chain in your life that's defeating you that's robbing you, that's stealing from you, and it steals from the body of Christ, would you be willing to do that? Say, God, I recognize there's something in my life that has defeated me, 
And I understand that when we have some of these habits and addictions in our life, the biggest enemy that Satan throws at us is shame. It's one of the biggest things Satan uses is shame. You're so ashamed that you can't even mention it. You're talking about one who took shame on the cross. He knows shame. He died for shame. He died for sin. Bring it to him, your brokenness. Say, God, I want to be whole. Maybe you're here today and you've never really fully surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time. If not now, when? When are you going to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? When are you going to take the mask off and stop playing a game with God who sees through you? He saw this demon. He sees through all the facade that you have. You're fooling maybe a few people around you, but you're not fooling the one that matters. Maybe you're even fooling your spouse. You're not fooling God. Would you give it to him? My heart's desire is to see Bethesda Church walk with Jesus and experience his power and authority in our lives corporately as a body because he will do wonderful things if we allow him to. I will be available after the service or speak to one of our leaders. Uh, we're here to pray with you, to help you. We're not here to judge you. We're here to pray with you. We're here to help you experience the We hope you've enjoyed today's message like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.